Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we pause at this moment to invite your spirit to do something unique and something wonderful. We ask that that spirit will make us alive. That as we read this word, these words that were written long, long ago, that they will come alive for us that they will make their way into our hearts and that you will reveal your truth and your message to us in a profound way, in a way that shapes us and directs us towards holiness. Bless this time that we have now in the presence of each other and in the presence of your spirit. Bless the reading of your word and the hearing of it. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Please stand if you are able for the reading of the word. Our scripture today comes from the book of Acts, chapter 2, verses 1 through 21. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound the multitude came together, and they were bewildered, because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? How is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia and Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others, mocking, said, They are filled with new wine. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants, in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above, and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, that great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Uh, 
As I mentioned earlier, I'm very excited about uh, being here for uh, another year here in Buena Vista, a fifth year, and I'm very humbled by that uh, because in looking through the uh, history of the, the pastors that have been here in this church, um, I, I realized that a fifth-year pastor is, is a pretty rare thing here. So I count it a privilege and a joy, and, uh, and, and I hope that um, this year will be something really special as we all look to uh, grow in Christ together and to really capture uh, that, uh, that vision for the church and, and to help it spread um, throughout our community. Uh, one of the things that's a challenge uh, when you start getting into years three, four, five, six, and so on is uh, it's, it's easy sometimes to get comfortable, to become complacent, to, to just sort of be stable. And I heard recently uh, somebody said something this week uh, that stability is actually the enemy of progress because stability is, is a step back. If, if you're not growing... If you're only stable, then the next step in that, that progression or regression is decline. So we certainly don't want to fall into, uh, into a rut or a feeling of complacency or comfort, but instead take the opportunity to, to really harness the Holy Spirit, what he is trying to do here in this congregation, and charge forward uh, in, into the year ahead with that. And, that, and I trust that we will. Uh, but that is why I chose to preach on the book of Acts this summer. And if you were here a couple of weeks ago, you remember we started uh, by, by talking about the ascension of Jesus. Jesus ascended into heaven, and then the disciples were like, what now? What, what do we do? And uh, the angels had to come and tell them, well, you've got to do something. You can't just stand here and stare up at the sky. And so they went back to the upper room, and they prayed, and they waited, and they prayed, and they waited. This is where it pays off on Pentecost. Yes, I know Pentecost Sunday was last Sunday, but I wasn't here for that. So we're going to celebrate the birthday of the church a week late, kind of like we did with Hannah Claire's birthday this year. She had to have her party a week later. Uh, that, that happens sometimes. But we're going to uh, dive into the second chapter of Acts today and talk about uh, Pentecost and the pouring out of the Holy Spirit. Because the, the, the thing about the book of Acts that's so relevant for us today is it helps us understand the mission and the movement of Jesus Christ, that the mission and the movement that he sparked. You see, he sparked a movement in the gospel, a movement of, uh, of grace, of salvation. Uh, he just transformed everything. And then he ascended into heaven, and what had to happen? The church had to pick it up from there, Right? And so we get a greater sense of what the mission of Jesus Christ is by looking at how the, uh, the early church, how those first disciples acted and how they reacted and how they were guided by the Holy Spirit. A lot of times when we talk about the Holy Spirit, we think of it as a breeze. We think of it as this gentle, calm, and, and certainly God can act in that way. God can calm us with a gentle breeze, a feeling of peace, of assurance, serenity. But that is not how the Spirit acted in this passage that we just read. It says the Spirit came rushing in like a mighty wind 
And the, the sound of it, the noise of it was so big, so large, that the people around, 3,000 people gathered around to see what was going on. The disciples were gathered in a room in a house when this happened. And 3,000 people, it must have been near the temple or something, because 3,000 people from all different areas and different countries, different cities, they all heard it and came running to see what this, this clamor was, what this noise was. So this was no gentle breeze. This was a mighty rushing in of the Holy Spirit. You see, when God gives birth to anything, He breathes into it. When God brought Adam from the dust of the ground, it says, He breathed life into the dust. When He gave birth to His church, He breathed His Spirit into it. A passage that I, I always try to read any time that we have a funeral or a memorial service from somebody is, is from uh, 1 Corinthians, where Paul is talking about the first Adam, which was Adam, and the second Adam, which he, is Jesus. He's talking about Jesus. He says that first Adam became a living being, but the last Adam became a life-giving spirit. It is not the spiritual that is first, but the physical and then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, from the dust. The second man is from heaven. And as was the man of dust, so are those who are born of the dust. But as, of, as is the man of heaven, so are those who are of heaven. In other words, we all start off like the man of dust. Our days are numbered. Our time is limited. From dust we rise to dust we shall return. But those who are born of God have His Spirit breathed into them. And that's why Pentecost is so important because it was a gathering of dust that left as the body of Christ. His Spirit was breathed into them. And I want to say something about that spirit and what it does. One thing it does is, is it unifies. It brings together. You see all these people from all these different walks of life, all these different areas, different tribes, they all came together because of what the spirit was doing. We have so much division and controversy and drawing lines in our world now and even in the church. It's, it's sad because the Holy Spirit seeks to bind us together Pentecost is the opposite of the Tower of Babel, the story of Babel and the Bible. People came together, they were unified, but for their own glory. Here in Pentecost, they were unified for God's glory. There's a difference. When we come together because we all want to promote ourselves, because we want to feel good about ourselves for our own glory... God divides us up. He causes confusion. He causes us to, to misunderstand each other, to separate. And so when we look at the world today and we see how much confusion there is and how we can't, we can't talk with each other, we can't agree on anything, we, can't even, we don't even know how to disagree, then it, it becomes painfully obvious that everything we've been doing has been for our own glory, hasn't it? But if we're doing it for God's glory, He will unify us. He will, he will heal us. He will bring us together. Babel 
was a story of people trying to build a tower. They wanted to glorify themselves, make a name for themselves, and they were trying to build something that went up towards the heavens. Pentecost was about people going out. It was about a bringing in of people together so that they could be transformed and then go out. And the effects of which are still rippling today. What happened at Pentecost? What happened among those first followers of Jesus Christ? Still rippling. We're still seeing it today. And that's why for us to understand what truly happened, for us to truly understand the work of the Holy Spirit in that moment, we have to realize it wasn't just a breath. It was a fire. And as I told the kids in the children's sermon, the fire is such an important symbol in the church. We have the pictures of the the, the banner of the fire, the flames, the candles up here, the flame and the cross is our denomination's logo. The fire represents the work of the Holy Spirit because fire is contagious. I'll never forget in the third grade when I went over to my friend Jay Rosdick's house after school. We decided to walk across the street to uh, Clubview Elementary. We didn't go to school there, but it was right across the street from his his grandmother's house. So we walked over there, and we found a lighter on the playground. And being nine years old, we didn't have many opportunities to play with lighters, so we took the opportunity. And we would light a blade of grass on fire and then stomp it out. And then light another one and then stomp it out. And then we noticed something really cool. You would light one and it would start to wither up and curl. And just as it was about to completely disintegrate, the blade next to it would catch on fire. And so we were like, well, let's watch it do that for a little while. So we did that. Then we decided, let's, let's see how long like it can burn right here just on these few little blades. And so we lit it and we sat there and we watched it. And almost like the Holy Spirit says it's a mighty rushing wind, a a mighty rushing wind blew in that moment. And that fire went and spread. Burned up a couple hundred feet right there on Clubview Elementary's property. The fire department came, the police department came. We were crying and screaming and we thought we were going to jail. It was terrible. Fire is contagious. I know firsthand. But that's how the Holy Spirit is. We can't let it just simply burn within us, within our hearts, because immediately it's going to catch something else on fire in a good way. We tell kids, don't play with fire because we know that it's dangerous. The Holy Spirit is dangerous in a very good way. It is wild. It is untamed. It it cannot be controlled. It cannot be reined in. If we are willing to let it burn, it's going to spread. One of uh, Claire and I's favorite Christian singers is is Toby Mack. And he has a song called Catch a Fire. Catch a fire and let it burn within. Well, if we catch a fire and let it burn within, it can't remain within. It's impossible. Because transformation starts here, but then just like... Pentecost, it ripples outward. So this event was not just a breath. It was also a fire. It was also not just simply a breathing out of the Spirit, but it was a pouring. 
Twice in the passage we just read where Peter was quoting from the prophet Joel, he said, I will pour out my spirit. Anytime the word pour is used in, in the Bible, it, it demonstrates an abundance to the point of overflowing, just an excessive amount. That's what pouring means. Excessive amount, abundance, overflowing. When the, when the, the woman got at Jesus' feet and poured the perfume, it wasn't like one of those little spray bottles. She didn't spray his feet with some perfume. She broke it and poured it out, and it was this excess of perfume pouring all over the feet, all over the floor around his feet, so much so that Judas saw it and said, what a waste. It was an overabundance. When God told Elijah to pour water around the altar before he struck it and caught it on fire with lightning, it wasn't a little sprinkling. That wouldn't have been impressive if if Elijah just went out there and sprinkled a little bit of water and then God caught it on fire. He said, pour water on the altar and all around it. An excess. Pour it out. Let it be saturated. It was drenched. And then God caught it on fire anyway. When Jesus said, this is my blood of the new covenant poured out for you and for many, he's saying my grace is poured out for you so much so that you can't fathom it. You will have all the grace and all the forgiveness and all the love you will ever need and then so much more. You will be saturated in it. That's what pouring means in the scriptures. And here, twice in this passage, and then just a few verses later, Peter says it again. The Holy Spirit was poured out. That means they experienced an abundance of it, an overflowing of Holy Spirit. It wasn't they got a warm feeling, a tingly feeling. They felt the, the gentle breeze of God on their face and they knew everything was going to be okay. It wasn't I know now what I need to do with my life and what I've been doing wrong. It wasn't all those little nudges that we experience at the movement of the Holy Spirit. This was an overabundance, so much so that it was overflowing into the streets all around them, and 3,000 people came and experienced that overabundance of the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit was a fire, and it was a pouring out of that fire. It was a liquid fire, if you can believe that. The Holy Spirit is a fire that is poured out for the sake of spreading Christ's mission, His kingdom. As we said, the book of Acts talks about how that mission, that movement that He sparked, took over. And still today, the Spirit is poured out into us. That fire is poured out so that Christ's mission can still be Uh, carried out through us. That's what we mean when we talk about advancing the kingdom. Alan Hirsch once said that the three most compelling disciple-making movements in all of history, he said there are three of them that are just, in all of history, you you can't even wrap your mind around what the Holy Spirit did. He said the first one was, was here at Pentecost. The second one was the underground church movement in China. The third one was the Wesleyan Revival in England. Some of you should know a little bit about the Wesleyan Revival because I've I've talked a lot about it before. But John and Charles Wesley, under the guidance 
of the Holy Spirit, they started a movement. Matt Leroy is a pastor in Chapel Hill, North Carolina. He talks about that movement, that Wesleyan revival. He says what was significant about it was that it was a spiritual renewal that began to bring about social reform. Because the people were transformed from the inside out, the, the social reform started changing. The, pe- the society around them started changing. And because of that, there was a cultural renaissance that brought England back from the point of revolution. They were on the brink of revolting in England. But because of the pouring out of the Holy Spirit and its contagious nature and the way that that, that, the inner transformation made its way outward and transformed everyone around it, it 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 changed the world. It brought England back from the brink of revolution. So when we look at the world around us and we see the trouble that we could very easily and very quickly fall into because of the confusion, the chaos, the darkness, the loneliness, what is the solution for that? What is our role in that? How do we address that? Do we crave the pouring of fire into our hearts. Are we hungry for it? Are we hungry for the fire of the Holy Spirit? If the mission of the church is to advance the message, the grace, the gospel, the kingdom of Jesus Christ, then we as a church must embody that message, that grace, that kingdom. We must be transformed from the inside by the fire of the Holy Spirit because it's the Holy Spirit that makes us alive. The bishop at annual conference this year, his theme was alive together in Christ. I heard it I don't know how many times. Alive together in Christ. And he kept saying, go back to your church and find out where you are alive. That is our goal, to be alive. But we don't do it by our own power, our own grit, our own determination. We do it because we welcome the Holy Spirit to come and breathe life into us. And that life is contagious. The Holy Spirit renews us so that the world around us can be renewed as well. I want to challenge you today to ask yourself, is the mission, the movement that was sparked by Jesus Christ... Is it burning in my heart? If not, let us pray that it will. Let us pray that 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 hunger for the fire will be there. And let us pray. Let let us ask God, just as the disciples did. let Let us ask Him for that hunger, for that fire. Just say, Lord, I am hungry. I am hungry for whatever you have to pour into my heart. Because that is a powerful prayer. One that He will hear. One that He will bless. And you better be ready for what He does. Because He will answer it if it is sincere. If we are hungry, He will pour His Spirit out upon us, into us. And as it overflows, His Spirit will pour out through us. Let us pray. Lord, we thank You for Your Holy Spirit 
and for the work that you do through it. And we thank you that we have the awesome privilege and responsibility to be your hands and feet in this world. God, make us hungry. Give us a craving for that fire. And pour that fire into our hearts. Let us catch a fire. Let it burn within. So that we can be transformed. But not only us. But the world around us. Put the Holy Spirit in us to the point of full and even overflowing. So that we become contagious. Not for our glory. But for your glory. Not for our kingdom. But for your kingdom. We pray these things in the holy name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Our hymn of invitation this morning is hymn number 334 in the United Methodist Hymnal, Sweet, Sweet Spirit. I invite you and encourage you, if you've made a decision of any type today, to come forward and share that with the church Uh, The altar, as always, is open for anyone who wishes to come up here and spend some time at it. But please stand if you are able and join us in singing hymn number 334, Sweet, Sweet Spirit.